Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Two Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right, and we sure wish you would. We always love hearing folks and hearing about their problems and things they need help with. Different parts of the country get different symptoms. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we got our flight ringing already this morning. Good morning, Jerome. Good morning, man. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Doing good. Yeah, I got a 1996 Dodge Ram 2500 pickup okay. four-wheel drive. Yes, sir. And the problem I have with it is that when I turn off my headlights, push the uh, switch in. Yes, sir. The, the park light, tail light, tag light, they all stay on. I can't get them to go out. So what I had to do after changing the switch and checking the relay, I couldn't really find the relay, but I just put a... a switch on the battery turn where you just turn it to interrupt the circuit. Yes, sir. I would assume that it's probably got a short somewhere where it's picking up power where it shouldn't. Just have to get a wiring diagram, see what all the lights that stay on have in common, where they all kind of come together, and that's the area you need to start looking in. It's not going to be easy to do, but with a little detective work, you should be able to find it. Jerome, if you're not real handy and know how to use a voltmeter and all that, you might want to bring it into the shop. We could find something like that for you fairly easy, probably a lot easier than you could find it yourself. But it's got to be a wire that is shorted to power. power. Right. And it's it's just picking up an auxiliary feed. In other words, if I take a wire and I come from the switch where it's getting its power and another right. hot wire lays across it, well, then if I cut the switch off, it doesn't matter because it's still got power going to it. Right. Just bypassing the switch is all it's doing. So that's almost going to have to be what it is, something like that. It's just going to take a little bit of detective work to find it. you, know, you got a half mile of wire if you start looking. I mean, has the truck ever been wrecked in the front or the rear? No, no, no. We, we see a lot of that when an accident occurs. Yeah. The wiring harness will get pinched and a couple wires may short together. And it may not show up immediately. It may have to take a while because now the harness is not in the same place it used to be. So now it's right. in a bind and they rub together. We've seen that before. Yes. That would be a place to start looking now, if that had occurred. One other thing, uh, if, does it have any aftermarket accessories like an aftermarket radio or any kind of aftermarket accessories? No, everything, everything is stopped. Everything stopped. Last thing I would look for, check and see if you've got a trailer hitch on it. Yeah, I do with, have with a trailer, trailer. trailer hitch wiring. Trailer hitch wiring can cause some, because it is tied into the lighting circuit. That can cause some really, really weird stuff like that. What you might just want to do is go back and just wherever your trailer hitch wires connect into the harness, just disconnect it temporarily and see if your problem clears up. I've fixed an awful lot of them like that. Yeah, I've seen that happen a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good idea, because otherwise I say, yeah, it's real rough trying to trace all it that. It is. Out. It is. Uh, try to uh, trail hitch wires and just see. I fixed an awful lot of them like that. If that doesn't do it, you might want to get it into me or somebody like us and let us just kind of get a wiring diagram out and do a little bit of tracing. I wouldn't think it'd take too long to find that, probably an hour or less. Yeah. Well, I won't be able to get it to because I'm in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, well, any good shop that does that kind of work should be able to find that for you. Jerome, just uh, yeah. like I said, they get a wiring diagram out, kind of trace the circuits, see what those particular circuits have in common, and then it's just I'm a matter of looking for it. Yeah, I'm thinking about trying to come down from Mardi Gras down to St. Martinville. So well, next year, well you, you look me up if you do. I'll be one of them drunks out there in New Orleans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. Hey, thanks for calling, man. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number of you on part of the automotive. I would love to have you. We see that problem a good bit. 
yes. with, with trailer harnesses because they're unused most of the time. So if you don't pay attention to them, they some of them drag the ground and mm-hmm. the wires will rub the insulation off. That's right. Short the wires together. They don't get moved a lot, so the wires get brittle. And when they do get moved, the wires will break. That. You know, we, we see that a lot. Also, when they're installed, a lot of times the folks who install that kind of stuff are not top technicians it's just some guy working in a hit shop a lot of times and they just don't do the best job hooking them up they'll maybe just kind of pinch the wires together or put those little scotch locks on or something like right. that so it's just a problematic area you know a wire inside of a harness that's taped up just really doesn't give a lot of trouble unless somebody tampers with it like sure. you said if it's wrecked and gets pinched or something like that but if nothing happens to it, it's just not very likely to create a problem. So you got to look to areas where something might, somebody's disturbed it. Uh-huh. And that would be where an aftermarket radio has been installed or maybe a security system has been installed, trailer hitch has been installed. Someone has went into the wiring harness. Because the wiring harness, when the factory puts it together, someone's engineered that, and they have done an awful lot of work as far as testing and routing and putting it in a position and insulating it where it's just not going to give much trouble correct so most of the time when you do start seeing that it's because someone's been in there and tampered with it and fooled with it or something like that they have some harnesses out now for your trailer hitch that go to the factory plug that's right you unplug the factory plug at the back of the vehicle mm-hmm. and you plug this adapter in it plugs in both sides right. and it's already pre-wired for you which takes a lot of that it does a lot of the errors out, right of errors it. out. And so you can buy trailer connections a lot of times from the oem they, sure. they offer that as an accessory and again it's just a plug and play you unplug and plug something in well that's much much better because that is designed to work with the vehicle correct and you would think something as simple as a trailer hitch wouldn't cause trouble but i know you would be surprised <laughs> anytime we find a vehicle with weird electrical problems that's always that's the first place we go look especially if it's, if it's something to do with lighting circuit right that is the very first place we look is that trailer harness and if it's got trailer brakes then it's even amplify that more sure because someone spliced into some wiring there so that all can easily back up through the lighting circuits and seen those get damaged they'll back into something and damage that plug and not realize it mm-hmm. and a few months down the road you'll start having trouble well that's right break it crack it damage it whatever mm-hmm. some uh, water starts getting into it and next thing you know yeah you uh, got a problem there so that's the first place we go to look for that type of problem. That's right, and it saves a whole lot of time. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. On Route 66. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpsan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, True Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291 6901. 
be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. And right now is a great time to call. we got our lines wide open. That's just right. waiting to get a phone call. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, of course, the big news this week, I guess, was the Arctic blast we got uh-huh. across the country and the low, low temperatures. And, of course, that brings on all sorts of problems. It was even in the mid-20s here in South Louisiana, which... Oh, very unusual. Yeah. When it's mid-20s here, it's 20 below. <laughs> Elsewhere, <laughs> yeah. Else, so. Yeah, we saw a vast number of batteries needing to be replaced last week. I think I changed four in one day. That's right. And what happens with batteries, a lot of times people think the cold kills the battery. And the cold doesn't actually kill the battery. The hot of the summer is what actually kills the battery. It's the cold that reveals the problem. Uh-huh. And the reason I say that is a battery is a chemical reaction, basically sulfuric acid reacting with lead, producing lead sulfate, electricity, and water. And mm-hmm. when you recharge it, you know, it turns back to sulfuric acid. But what happens is that when you heat any reaction up, it speeds up. And when you cool any reaction down, it's going to slow down. Correct. Chemical reactions. And what happens is that a battery is optimized for about 80 degrees. That's okay. what it's designed to work at is 80 degrees. Well, under the hood of a car in the summer, it might be 120 degrees. Oh, if so especially. that reaction is actually firing off at probably 130, 140 percent. Mm-hmm. And when you operate that much above its design parameter, you start using things up real fast. So you're using the battery up during the summer, although you don't notice it because it's operating above 100%. Right. Now, when the first cold snap comes, now it slows down to below 100%. It may drop down to 60 70% efficiency. Now, let's say it was only at 70%, but in the hot, you were still getting 100% out. Right. Well, when it drops back to normal, that's 70% at 80 degrees. When it drops down to 20 degrees, you may only have 30% of your battery. So that's when you see it's dead. And it actually died during the summer or was damaged during the summer. Just and it didn't. shows up on that first cold day. Exactly. So that's the reason you see so much of that the first cold snap. Sure. And then after you get them all changed out, they last. The the cold doesn't actually kill them. It's the hot. Right. So. It, battery goes two or three years here in south louisiana yeah, about three years is average across the country slightly less in south louisiana right. but about what you can count on let's go back to our phone lines with danny good morning danny hey lewis brian appreciate you yes sir thank good morning you. i've got a, a otn camry okay. about a year ago i took it to the dealer mm-hmm. to get brake pads yes sir and they turned the, the rotors okay and they told me it cost four hours so they did it in less than two mm-hmm. and uh, you know they charged me an for the equipment. Yeah. yeah. I, and I didn't, you know, need to say I haven't been back to them. Yeah. I don't it's like uh, turning rotors at all, Danny. Well, yeah. we used to. Yeah, years ago, everybody turned rotors because they were real thick, and, and that was just what you did. But what most manufacturers say now is if the rotor is not warped and it's not grooved excessively, that means less than a 60,000 groove, just put the pads on. It's fine. It's fine like it is. Just wash it, put the pads on, and it'll be fine like it is. Now, if it is warped, it's better to replace it than to try to turn it because they're already too thin, and when you turn them, it just you make You're it making thinner, thinner, and then they end up warping, and you've charged the guy almost as much as he could have replaced the rotor for, and you really have damaged the rotor or, or made it substandard, in my opinion. But it's even worse, Lewis. It started to break shutter. Yes, sir, right. it will. And I carried to another shop mm-hmm. yesterday. Yes, sir. They first suggested, recommended turning them. Mm. And well, they did give measure. me a price of, of uh, $165 to turn them. Well, that's crazy because and, uh, you can, you can buy them. those rotors for probably $30, <laughs> 40 bucks a piece. Yeah, and it don't take 10 minutes to put them on. Yeah, they're they're really easy to change. But, but anyhow, I ended up putting new ones on it. Yes, sir, absolutely. For the same price. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Rotors nowadays are relatively inexpensive, and they're very easy to change. And they're not supposed to just go start turning rotors. They're supposed to measure those rotors. 
And if you measure a brand new rotor, what you'll find is probably about fifteen thousandths above discard when it's new. Where they used to be, uh, used to be 60. twenty. Or, yeah, well, used drums 60. used to be sixty. Yeah, yeah, and rotors too at one time. But by the time you turn it once, you've taken fifteen thousand. Also, the rotor's already at discard, if not below. And you turn it again, now you're below discard. You know the reason it warps is because it's too thin. It's not a metal air dissipate the heat. So yeah, that that doesn't make any sense, man. That's, I'm, yeah, glad, I'm glad you did got the right thing done. Well, and something else too that will warp a rotor is the rear brakes are not working correctly. Well, yeah, you can have that if you too. got if you got drums on the back. Yeah, Drum, if the rears aren't doing their fair share of stopping, and the front's doing too much work, and it'll warp the rotors. Okay, well, I'll, I'll pay attention. But the main reason I called, I don't know whether it's I lost confidence in these people or, or just noticed it's, it's my wife's car and I don't drive it very often. Yes, sir. But coming home yesterday from the shop, I, I kind of feeling of it, you know, checking it out. Yes, sir. Maybe trying to second guess and what have you. But I noticed it, it'll drift to the left. Was it doing that before they did the I, I didn't notice it, Lewis. I did not notice it. But I, Did they uh, happen to rotate the tires or anything? They did rotate the tires. Yeah, the most common reason for that is if they rotate the tires, see, tires are very directional, particularly if they have any wear on them. And it may have been driving perfectly straight with the old tires that were on the front, even if they were worn. When they rotate the back tires to the front, that can cause a little bit of a drift like that very, very easily. The first thing I would do, Danny, is I would take the two front tires and just temporarily cross them side to side. And then go drive it again. If it starts drifting to the right, you got a tire issue. And okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's pretty easy to figure out. But what you want to do, if, if you cross your tires, it goes the other way. If you got a lot of rubber left on the tires, that is a warrantable defect in a tire. You, know, oh, you really? can take it back yes. to whomever sold you the tire and say, look, I got ride disturbance, so they call it conicity or whatever. But just tell them when I cross tires, it pulls the other way. And they should adjust those tires because they'll give you another set of tires minus the amount of rubber you've used off of them. How about that? I wouldn't wear that. Yes, sir. That's that's quite common. That's great, guys. I appreciate you here. All right, Danny. Thanks right. for calling, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And we've got Fernando online. Good morning, Fernando. Hey, good morning, Liz and Brian. How you guys doing? Doing wonderful, sir. Good morning. Good morning. It's the first time calling. I've been listening for about two years, and I've emailed you quite a few times over the past few months. I have a 2000 Frontier. Got it with, like, about 188,000 miles. Okay. Now has 260-something miles. Wow, okay, good. And I'm looking to do the timing belt, and I was wondering what other things can I do while all that's, like, while... Well, yeah. the mechanic is in there. Yeah, Fernando, what I normally recommend on any vehicle when you change the time belt is look at the water pump, and I normally will change the water pump. Now, on that one, the water pump actually is not driven by the time belt. It's on the outside, but it is right there when you're doing the timing belt. To get to the there belt. should be hardly any labor or very little or, or no extra labor to change it. Same thing with the camshaft seals and the crankshaft seals. And a lot of engines have one or two idler pulleys. You'd have to look up and service down and see if they have those on this particular engine. I'm pretty sure it does. I normally would recommend replacing those as well. One last okay. thing that I like to change anytime I'm doing a timing belt, it means the engine's generally got around 100,000 miles since it was changed last. I like to change the PCV valve just because okay. those are hardly ever changed. They just get overlooked a lot. And they cause a lot of oil leaks. If that valve doesn't draw enough pressure out of the crankcase, it'll end up restricting, and you can end up blowing valve covers out and blowing out seals on the engine, which costs you a whole lot of money. A PC valve is like 20 bucks, and probably no extra labor to change it while you're there. 
Okay. What about something like the oil pump? Is that something? Is that around there, like a fuel filter? Do you know? If it's well, the, the oil pump is going. The oil pump's going to be way, way away from that. That's down inside the oil pan and be quite a bit more, and they just hardly ever go out. So I wouldn't worry about that very much. Okay. The fuel filter on that one, I'd have to look it up in service data. I think it's on the frame rail and relatively easy to change. So okay. some of them are in the fuel tank, but I don't think that started until later models. Okay, and what about like other things on the truck? Since I bought it, I'm about like almost three years ago. I've changed the battery, the spark plugs, the rotor, the spark plug wires, the battery. Yeah, the cap. Yes, yes and um, I've pretty much done. Uh, I changed the coolant. I changed the thermostat. I changed um, radiator. What what other things? I mean, the have you serviced the transmission? Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I serviced it about like less than 15,000 miles. Okay, good, 20, good, good. 000. What about the differentials? No, that I haven't, but you did let me know about the friction modifier from Chrysler. You yes, even sir. sent me the, um, the part, part number. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably service those diffs. That's about the only thing I can think of. You sounds like you've done a really good job on it. I think you've got just about everything else. Maybe the brake fluid, the power steering fluid, have you serviced those lately? No, but I, I did hear, like, from listening to, to your show, that I can just take, like, a turkey buster and I absolutely. can, uh, like, over time just remove some and add some. And oh, that yeah. way, absolutely. It's not re- if it's not, um, uh, what is it called? Like, that way it doesn't go 100%. You're that's always, right. Like, uh, that's right. You never it. deplete it completely. You can just exactly, keep adding yes. to it. You'll, yeah, that's perfect. That does a real good job. Okay, well, um, I guess that's, that's it for today. I thank you guys very much. I've been I, listening for a while, and I hope to keep listening well, for great. a long time. Fernando, where are you calling from? I live in Turlock, California. Okay, oh, good. great. Good. Well, I appreciate you calling, man. Yes, thank you guys very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you, whether you're in California or Baton Rouge. That's right. Just, 225 will get you here. Anywhere, anywhere. in this country. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you put an old one in front of it, you can get here from just about any other country. There you go. There you go. If you want to wake up in the middle of the night and Give call us a call. <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. Hey, that's right. You give me a call. We get email a lot of times from all over the world. I email Emails. from Africa and Europe and uh, South Asia America. And, yeah, all right. the Philippines, pretty much all over the world. So one good thing about the internet and the podcast is it goes out and folks hear you and you know, right quite, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Quite a few people from Australia, uh, I guess, and, not uncommon because they speak English the same as we do. <laughs> right, and cars are not really that different everywhere around the world. Really, mm-hmm. it's basically the same types of uh, repairs, same and, types of problems. Right, there are car models that we do not have in oh, the United definitely. States around Most the rest definitely. of the world. And sometimes folks will write and ask me about a certain model that I've never seen, and I don't and have service data on. You would be surprised that some of those models are just different names of cars That's that right. are actually produced here in the United States. That's right. Sometimes they are, and sometimes not. To have to go to the internet, type in the name, and see what kind of car it is. I noticed that when we were in Mexico mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, there was a, a car went by, and it looked like a Toyota Corolla, and it had a different name on it. That's right. Yeah. I was like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, they do use different names in different parts of the world, and I don't know all the reasons behind it certain words different regulations mean, maybe and certain words might mean something in a different culture and they don't want to offend anybody right i know the name fiaro remember the fiaro, fiaro? yeah the yeah. fiaro that means fire in italy <laughs> <laughs> well so you probably don't want to name a car fire <laughs> well <laughs> no comment there especially, huh? especially a plastic car yeah <laughs> you, no kidding, huh? you might not want to give it that name there so yeah i guess different words have different connotations different meanings different parts of the world and right. they're looking for something that is going to Number one, excite people and make them want to buy the car, uh-huh. make it look positive. So I guess maybe that has something to do with it. I never have figured out exactly what all these different 
names. I know <laughs> <laughs> where they come up with them, how they come up there, with them. There are uh, a bunch of them. That's it. Absolutely. We were talking about the coal and how it affects cars and uh-huh. stuff. One other thing that I've noticed a lot is that the amount of automatic transmission repair you do in the winter goes way high, especially right. on cold days. And that's not surprising, again, because if the fluid in your transmission has not been replaced for a number of years, then the viscosity of it tends to thicken in time. Uh-huh. When the cold weather gets here, it gets even thicker, which means the pressure gets sky high. Now, you've got high pressure. You've got a transmission with a lot of miles on it. And also, the engine will tend to idle much faster because, sure, because it doesn't of the cold run weather. efficiently. So the computer idles the engine up. So what happens, you crank the car up. The idle shoots up to 1,500 RPM. It's sitting there running fast. You drop it in reverse. you got this thick fluid. The pressure's real high. Wham! It snaps the reverse band uh-huh. or it breaks a sprag or it breaks a whatever inside the transmission well now it doesn't move or it starts slipping or whatever happens may starts making noise so the key is had you service that transmission on a regular basis that would not have been something that would have occurred necessarily right the fact that it had the thick fluid in it well and ran the pressure up and it was depleted of all its nutrients it, that right. kept the seal soft and everything else all the additives that were in there that do the things that need to be done right gone away and not only that but if the filter is restricted let's say it's got a bunch of debris sucked up in the filter so okay. it's already restricted the fluid is thicker now it's harder to draw through this filter you just can't get it through there so again you start starving the transmission and transmission fluid is not only a hydraulic fluid. It's also the lubricant and, and the coolant for the transmission. So if it runs out of fluid, it's very, very much like your body running out of blood or your engine running out of oil. Sure. It's just not going to survive it for very long. If you run a transmission low on fluid for just a matter of a few minutes, yeah, it's you can done. actually do damage. Yeah, you can actually tear a lot of stuff up. And even way before you see any shifting concerns or hear any noises or see any slip or anything else, you may be doing damage because the computer is going to try to keep the car moving. So when the pressure starts to drop, it may actually divert fluid away from the lubrication circuit and open the, the pressure, pressure circuit, circuit to right. keep the car moving. But now you're running without lubrication, so you end up with lubrication-related problems. So these are all the kinds of things. It's not one of those things you wait until you got symptoms to get transmission service. You service it based on mileage to prevent. Because when you see the symptoms, it's, it's just too late. late. That's right. Got a problem. Hey, we're gonna take one more quick little break and be right back with more in the automotive hour. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. 
Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you join us the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, Tween Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. we sure love to hear from you. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. That's right, and right now is the perfect time to call. And should you happen to miss this opportunity today or think of something next week you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way that's right it's agcoauto.com that's a g c o a u t o.com there's a contact bar on each and every page just click that button fill out the form send us the email and lewis will get your questions answered and get them right back to you that's right couldn't be easier you just send an email to me i'll get an answer right on back to you a lot of times if i happen to be sitting at the computer you'll get it back almost immediately almost if not you'll always get it back within 24 hours correct <laughs> there you go and we're going to our phone lines with rob good morning rob good morning how are you doing great sir hey i have a question for you about all pressure you bet i have a 2014 jeep wrangler yes sir and I just recently changed my oil, mm-hmm. and I noticed it's been kind of cold the past two days mm-hmm. that the pressure is really high for the first few minutes. Okay. But then it starts to drop way down in the 30s and 40s, you uh, know, how high as is it, it going, warms up. How high is it going, Rob? Over what it used well, to go? Well, it says, well, I don't know. I never, you know, I just got it. Yes, I never okay. really changed it. But what, what is it going so up it's like in the it said 99. It's the wow. first time I had a car with a digital yeah, you know, that's, all that's, gauge. That's way high, Rob. There's a part inside the oil pump called a regulator valve. It's a little spring-loaded device that is supposed to prevent the oil pressure from ever getting that high. I would suspect that that regulator may be hanging up. See, when the oil is cold, it's real thick. And when it's thick, the pressure naturally goes way higher. That's why we have a regulator, so it can just dump back to the pan and it won't damage the engine. But it sounds like the regulator in the oil pump may be sticking that should be under warranty on a 14 i'd have to bring that back and have them take a look and i mean if they tell you it's normal that's great but i'd probably want to get something in writing because too much oil pressure is probably not as bad as too little but it's not good either right i understand that's what i was thinking mm-hmm. too. i thought it was getting really hot that, that is yeah normally and, um, 50 60 pounds is about maximum on almost anything on a cold motor on a cold motor yeah right 40 is closer yeah. to normal 30 to 40 yeah, I've never seen anything like this before, so I just was wondering. I have seen it happen where the regulator will stick. It's just a like a valve with a spring behind it. The spring's calibrated to so many PSI, and as the pressure rises, it pushes a little piston back against the spring. It just dumps back to the pan, so it just drains the excessive pressure off. And almost all pumps, hydraulic pumps, have something like that. You know, you have the same thing inside a transmission, have the same thing on a power steering pump, just to keep the pressure from getting too high and causing damage. And I would think that that regulator may be sticking in it. You know, when they fitted it at the factory, maybe that little valve is too tight. Of course, when it all thins out, it's not a problem because the pump doesn't make as much pressure. But, yeah, I would want that taken care of under warranty. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Rob. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got George online. Good morning, George. Morning, Lewis. Yes, How sir. are you today? Doing great, sir. Look, I have a 97 town car, mm-hmm. and I noticed recently that the carpet on the driver's side is soaking wet. Okay. In one area, it's actually the lowest area mm-hmm. on the yes, sir. horizontal part of the carpet mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And I have looked and looked and looked, and I took it the other day at the recommendation of the dealer mm-hmm. to a glass place that they use. Yes, sir. 
they tried to make it leak around the windshield and and all the the obvious places, yeah. and they couldn't do it. Yeah, well, George, I doubt it would leak at the windshield unless the windshield's recently been replaced. No, it has not. You know, if it's the original windshield, a windshield doesn't just start leaking. Uh-huh. Not in my experience. More likely what's happened is that some leaves have fallen around on the car, and they get down on that car. They go down into the cowl area, and there's two little drains, one on either side. Yeah. And a few leaves cover that drain up. Well, now it, the water can't run out as fast as it used to. So if you get a decent-sized rain, what's going to happen is it's going to overflow that cowl area, and the water comes in where it draws the air for the fresh air yeah. option. Yeah. And it'll it'll run down through the evaporator case, and it'll drain down onto the console, and it may run off on the right, it may run off on the left, just depending on how it hits. Uh-huh. But what happens, it's going to run down under that carpet, and it's going to puddle up at the lowest spot. Yeah. So right. that's where you're going to find the water at. You know, it ran all the way down, but the carpet's got some waterproofing like on the back side, so you don't feel it there, mm-hmm. but it's going to puddle in the bottom, and where a puddle sits, it's going to get through. So that's where you're going to see it. Yeah, well, it's only on the left side, yes, like sir. I said. Quite, quite it- probably. And never noticed it until just recently. Mm-hmm. I don't see any leaf buildup. Or, well, you, you know. won't see it because it's going to be down inside the cow. What you have to do is take the windshield wipers off, remove that cow panel, then it'll be down inside of that plenum chamber, and yeah. you can't see it with your eye. If yeah. you run it by the shop, I'll be glad to take a look at it. We should be able to get in there and clean that out. Okay. Uh, the only other thing I can think of that would allow water to get, if the evaporator drain was starting to stop up on the evaporator, that can do the same thing. Uh-huh. And normally it drips on the right side, but it could also drip on the left side just depends yeah. on where it comes out well, it yeah. just depends because underneath that carpet there's a jute Mat. kind of a backing and it's real absorbent so it can actually take water from one point and wick it to the lowest point That's right yeah so uh-huh. it, it, it could be leaking three feet over mm-hmm. and it catching uh-huh. the carpet and running there that's right yeah. so it's kind of hard you just got to find out where it's coming into right. the car at. What, yeah. what i'd recommend we do is probably pull the carpeting out because it needs to come out anyway to be dried if, right if we don't uh-huh. we'll do and uh-huh. while you got it out you'll be able to find it pretty easy well, I need to drop it off with you, you think? Be best, yes, right. It's probably take a while because I'm going to need to pull that carpet out and have it and dry it, okay. which needs to sit out in the sun. So, Which right. means taking all the seats out. If it's got a console, the console has to come right. out. The trim on the sides where the carpet goes underneath the trim, all that has to come out. Right. So it's, you, it's a pretty good deal to get it out. If, but once if you, you don't get take it out, that carpet out and dry it, it'll mildew right. on and you won't be able to stay in the car. It'll, right. it'll be a real nasty it's mess. It's something yeah. that needs to be done. The heater will not dry it out. No. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get it in there to you as Hi, soon Mr. as I Archie. can here. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right. 291 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And let's see. Nope. Uh, I think you just lost it. I'm sorry. I'm Uh-oh. Might have pushed the wrong button there and cut our next caller off. Boy, I tell you, one of these days, I guess I'll figure out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us a call right back. We'll after, get after you back 20, to the top of the list. years, I, I'll learn how to use these phones, I swear. <laughs> the, yeah, if I cut you off, I apologize. Just call right back, and I'll get you right straight up to the top of the line. That's one of those things. When water starts getting into a car, a lot of people will say, well, the windshield's yeah. leaking. And that is certainly one place water can get in a car, but... In my experience, that is only going to be after the windshield's been replaced. And not only that, the cars nowadays, the windshield is glued in That's with a right. urethane glue mm-hmm. all the way around. It's not like the older ones. Right, we had a rubber seal. You put seal. it in and it had a rubber seal around. Right, that could leak. Right, the rubber seals would deteriorate and water would get past them and get in the car. That was pretty common back in the day. Yeah. But today's cars, the windshields are the windshield, the rear glass are glued onto the body, part of the structure. That's right. Of They're, the well, body. They add structural support to the body. And... 
it's not going to just start leaking. Right. Now you're I've seen a tough. brand new car from the factory leak because they didn't seal it right. Right. And that happens. Dealerships see that a lot. And that might be why they made that recommendation. But on an older car, a windshield glued is not going to just start leaking unless exactly. it's removed and put back in improperly. Said if that hadn't been done, then most likely the leak is somewhere else. Sure. Let's go back to our phone lines with Steve. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, sir. Uh, 2002 Mazda B2300, little pickup. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Got 38,000 miles on it. Bought it from my neighbor. Okay. They said they had to change the fuel pump a couple of years ago. A uh, man passed away, and I bought it from cheap. But it been running great. But about a month ago, I, I was filling it up, and gas started leaking out up underneath the truck. Okay. So I got up under there. I've been doing some mechanic and work all my life. So mm-hmm. I got up under there, and the filler hose is fine. So what I'm thinking is that I think it's got an in-tank fuel pump, and I'm thinking that wherever they sealed it or the gasket. It's a big rubber roll pump. ring, yes, right. sir. Yeah. There are also a couple of vents up there that could leak. A couple of vent also. tubes as well that could leak. Ought to have a check engine light on also. Right. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. yeah, because it's going to pick that up. The evac. Yeah, yeah. it's going to set an evap code. Yep. So you're pretty handy. Steve, what you could do is you're either going to have to drop the tank or take the bed off, one or the other. Yeah, and that was my it. question. Which one is easier? Try to take the bed off? It looks like taking the bed off. Yeah, easier. it depends on how many friends you got. <laughs> because the bed's only held on with like six bolts and it just lifts yep. straight up. It just up. takes four or five guys to pick it up. Right. Or if you have a lift to work on, it's easier to drop the tank yeah. out. For us, it's easier to drop the tank because sure. we got a lift. We can stand up on it. We got a jack that rolls on there and catches the tank and drops right. it down. But for no, you, it might be easier to take the tank. No risk of damaging, no risk of damaging the bed. Right. And yeah. what you could do is just take some soapy water and spread all over the top of that tank take an air gun and take like a shop towel put it in a fill net and just give it a little blast of air you don't want to pressurize the tank but just put a little bit of pressure on it and you'll see bubbles coming out wherever it's leaking i never would have thought of that there you <laughs> go <laughs> yeah that's yeah, why i get the, the big bucks <laughs> do I do with, the, with, with the tank empty or the tank full either way you, yeah, you don't want to be full but you know you can have some gas in it it's not gonna hurt but take a shop towel put on that fill net and just give it just a little blast of air just put a little bit of pressure on put some soapy water you'll see the bubbles where it's coming out now if you're real careful you can just lift that side of the bed up yeah you just have to be aware yeah you got to be aware that the other side is going down so we can bind on either the bumper or the back of the cab so you got to you got to pay attention to it as you're doing it you don't want to skin them up but you could theoretically if that side's high enough to get the fuel pump out the tank that's right one other quick question guys i'll let you go sure they they took it stripped the drain plug off the oil pan yes sir (laughs) and uh i tinkered around with it a little bit but it's got like a casing around the drain the bolt so you can't really get no pliers on it or anything like that so they had a electric pump where they would just pump the oil out okay right I, and i looked at that thing i thought about trying to drill it out but it's got that oil pan that looks like it's part of the you know engine structure yeah. of the engine uh we should be able to get that out for you steve oh, yeah? what we normally do is go in and just with a mig welder just tack weld a nut onto it and then put a wrench on a nut and screw it right on out yeah i never thought of that either yeah that would work there you go. <laughs> <laughs> ain't you glad you called <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Because you're not going to get all that that contaminants out of the bottom of the pan with a pump. You know, you're leaving the worst stuff in the pan. Which is the whole point of draining oil. Yeah, the worst stuff's in the very bottom of that pan. You want to definitely all the ball joints and everything and never got a line, so I need to bring it in and get a line. Maybe get my plug out for me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all. All right, right, sir. Hey, thanks, Carl, man. All right, we're going to take one last quick little break, but we will be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. 
And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. If you just joined us, as, <laughs> I'm Lewis Aldersand, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we've got Marvin who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing great, Doing sir. great. I have a 2004 Camry, and I need to pick your brain about uh, I have a uh, airbag alarm, and the horn doesn't work. Can you give me any idea what could be the problem? Marvin, I would almost guarantee you that's what they call the clock spring assembly. Those are pretty problematic, and that's, that's what it is. Because the steering wheel turns back and forth, and the airbags on the steering wheel, it has to be electrically connected. Right. They don't want contacts there that could go bad, so it's got right. to be physically connected from the steering wheel to the steering column. And the way mm-hmm. they do that is they wind a wire about five turns one way and about four or five turns the other way. And when you're turning the steering wheel, it's feeding out in one direction and it's feeding out in the other direction. So you have electrical conductivity. They call it a clock spring because it looks like a clock spring. Well, what happens is that by feeding in, feeding out, feeding in, feeding out, it's a little ribbon cable, and it'll it'll break. And when it does, it loses connection. Now, they also, because the horn is on the steering wheel also, it's easy to run those connections through the same clock spring. So when you said horn and airbag, that kind of gives it away. I would almost bet you that's what it is. Now, it's going to set a code, and that's what's got the airbag light on. If you retrieve that code with a Toyota scan tool, you can actually see, and it'll give you a code like, call it a squib, I think, and not actually a clock spring. Right. Now, that is that code can only be retrieved with a Toyota scan tool. It's not going to turn the light on on the dash, or a parts house cannot request that code. Right. It'll be it has to airbag be, light. It has to be pulled with a Toyota scan tool. Right. But lots of shops have. We have Toyota scan tools and lots of other shops, so you don't have to go to a Toyota dealer for that at all. But okay. we can retrieve that code, go in, just pen test it, make sure that's what it is. If that's what it is, you have to disable the system so that it doesn't accidentally deploy, pull the airbag out, pull the clock spring out, replace it, and put it back together. And that'll probably fix both problems. Is that a big job? or a Big-ish. I guess the clock spring's probably a hundred and a half, and it's probably one or two-hour job to change. Okay. And is this a common occurrence on a Toyota? Not on a Toyota, per se. Common, it's fairly common, common on all cars. Right. It's just a design. Yeah, and I tell you what, one thing that causes it, if anyone ever had the steering apart in your car, like they took the rack and pinion out or anything like that, mm-hmm. if they turn that steering wheel at all with the rack and pinion out, they'll get that clock spring out of time, and next time you turn the wheel to the full extent, you'll rip the clock spring apart. Yeah, I see. That's oh. very common, so I don't know if that's ever happened on the car or not, but that's one thing that kills them. Well, I bought it used, so I, I have yeah. no idea. If anyone ever had the rack and pinion out and they turned the steering wheel and put it back together, now the clock spring's out of time. It's already got one feed out, you know, going in that direction. So if you turn it to the extent, you may actually rip the clock spring apart. 
So okay. uh, I'm not saying I've seen it any more on Toyota than anything else. I've probably seen it more on Chrysler than just about anything. But, yeah, it, it happens on all cars. It's just one of those parts that probably one of the more problematic parts on a car. Well, I sure do appreciate all right, you. All right. Have a nice day. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Bill on line. Good morning, Bill. Hey. Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've got a general question about airbag. Okay. You know how the media likes to hype things up. Yes, sir. How concerned should we really be about the airbag recall? Uh, on which vehicle are you talking about, Bill? Just anything in general. Well, I mean, airbags are probably a... Can you, can you turn your radio down there, Bill? Yeah, you're getting a bunch of feedback in the background. I'm going to put you on hold so I cut the noise down. Airbags are a nice feature because if you don't have a seat belt on, they can clearly save your life. They'll keep your head from going through the windshield and all that sort of thing. If you wear your seat belts properly, they're probably a lot less important. I mean, you got to figure we drove cars for probably 75, 80 years without an airbag at all. And for a lot of those years, even without, without a seat belt, belt right? So, I mean, I wouldn't get overly concerned, oh, my God, can't drive the car. I mean, I would go and have the recall done if I had one on my car because, number one, you can get it done for free. And, number two, it is a nice feature to have. They do prevent some disfiguring accidents, and they do help. If you happen to jump in your car, you don't hook your seatbelt, you forget about it, somebody pulls out in front of you, wham, you don't smash your face into the windshield, you smash into a big soft airbag. So it is a nice feature to have, but it's one of those things like a lot of other new technology – while it's nice, it's not really mandatory to drive the car. I mean, I would certainly use my seatbelt in the interim because if it doesn't deploy, then you know, you're not going to have the benefit of it. But I would not freak out or quit driving the car or, or sell the car or anything like that. i just take it to the dealership, have the recall done, and go on with my life about sure. it. And, yeah, I appreciate the call, man. It's a good call there. But a lot of times, like he was saying, the media wants to hype things up right. to an extreme. And what really gets me is they kind of sort of selectively – hype things up the first time something occurs big big deal well next time it occurs not such a big deal third time around it may not even get mentioned at all exactly so it was so important the first time why didn't it part this time you know <laughs> yeah you uh, see that a lot yeah i remember back when toyota had that supposed problem with the throttle yeah. stick in which i'm right. not sure they ever had a problem or if that was all media hype i'm not but sure man they made a major major that's all you heard for six weeks on the news and then about a month or two later, Chrysler has the same exact problem because the same guy makes the accelerator pedals for them and didn't even make the news. Exactly. So, so it's kind of like they were picking on Toyota there. Well, and I've always said, you know, Toyota, for one thing, they don't have union workers in their plants. Okay. Most Toyota plants are located in rural areas. They're located in states with right to work, and they don't employ a lot of union workers. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that they're picking on them because i'm not sure toyota makes a darn good product they do and i gotta say i mean i mean if i had to go out right now and buy yeah toyota would be first on the list well, and then honda it's my next one i'm gonna buy i can tell you and i'm not saying they're without problems because certainly they, oh, do, they have do trouble like they any, do like everything else you any buy mechanical device they break just they just like don't break else. as much i find it don't break as much and i find it don't break as consistently what irritates me about certain car models is the same things break at the same mileage on every one of them exactly which tells me we have a design problem sure and i understand design issues but when the same problem goes on for years and years and years that tells me somebody doesn't care exactly you know when we have a problem with a certain vehicle and every one of them does the same thing at the same number of miles for across 10 models yeah. or 10 years of and, that and same model keep on building keep on building right just like i gotta say hey, that sounds like you don't care and that's one thing I have seen with Toyota and Honda both is that when they do have a problem, normally you're going to see a TSB pretty quick, right? And you can see a redesigned part. 
I know we had a Honda Ridgeline come in Friday uh-huh. with a belt squeal. And first thing you do, you go to first bullet, it was revised belt tensioner for that problem. Correct. They figured out, well, this belt tensioner was, I think, um, under, undersized right. or something. It was they, it, you actually had to cut away a little bit of the plastic timing cover to make the new one fit for the redesign. a larger part to handle this issue. But they didn't just, like, thumb and nose everybody and say, well, you just have to have a squealing belt. Right. <laughs> or just keep changing the belt. They did redesign the part. They did come out with a new part to fix the problem. And you can't expect necessarily perfection when you're designing a car because a car is an extremely complicated device and that's what i don't like about a first year model car right it's got all the problems that haven't been figured out yet so i'm real shy of a first year model of anything when a car comes out brand new they have done their best and they have tested it and they've done all that but when it gets into production clearly there are going to be some issues sure when you buy a car that's maybe the second or third year of the production run generally you're going to get a lot of those things that have already right they'll be worked out that's also a good idea to buy a car that's maybe three years old rather than a new car Uh because someone else has carried it back to dealing all All the squeaks and rattles and recalls all that done yep and now now you're buying the car for half price yeah i know we had an email here from a lady that kind of hit on that topic Uh, yeah it was miss lauren from iowa she had an optima that was a a fairly new model i believe it was yes it was and she was wanting to trade it in because the warranty was fixing to run out on That's it. That's right. And her worry was that, well, now it's out of warranty and I'd have to pay for any kind of repairs. And like I told her, I said, well, ma'am, you got to remember that when you buy a new car, the warranty is included in the price of the car. That's right. You're paying for your repairs anyway. You're just paying for it in the form of a higher price car. Paid, paid for it up front. And what a lot of people don't realize, they think a warranty is something for free or something that's given to you. It's not. It is a for-profit service that they're selling you. Sure. They add enough to cover the repairs plus a profit margin to the price of the car, and they administer it as a for-profit part of their thing. So you're paying for it anyway. You're just paying for it in the form of a higher price car. Right. And that's going to do it for us for today. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite rebroadcast service, iTunes, iHeart, whatever your, whatever your service is. Go to the written part of it and give us a written rating. Yeah, if you give us a written review, that'll move us up in the ratings and so more folks can hear us. We really appreciate it and appreciate your opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.